We're bringing you all you need to succeed in the real estate business. It's Spilling the LT, brought to you by Lawyer's Title, telling you what it's really like to work in real estate. Welcome back. I'm your host, Tamara Gady, and today we're going to talk about the ins and outs of flipping houses. But first, if you like my content, you're really going to love my escrow team. So let's get a conversation going about your title needs. I'm really excited about the guest that I have on the show today. His name is Adam Esposito. He is the co-founder of AB Texas Renovations, and they focus on single-family homes, wholesale, and investment properties. Adam's been in the real estate industry for over 10 years and has been involved in over 700 real estate transactions, including flipping, which is what we're going to talk about today. So welcome to the show, Adam. Thank you so much for being my guest today. Well, thanks for having me. I'm glad I finally got to get on. Oh, <laughs> well, there's not like a list or anything, so you can always call me if you have something burning that we should talk about. You can always tell me, and we'll get you back. Uh, on you the made show. it seem like a long uh, list to get on, so I was really <laughs> eager. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, I am very popular sometimes. Anyway, um, okay, so I like to jump right in because you know we have a lot to talk about and a limited amount of time to talk about it. So. And I know that the audience is going to be really interested in our conversation today because, you know, with all the development that's going along the tollway, right, in Frisco, Prosper, and Salina, we've had all these announcements of, you know, Universal Studios and the PGA and the fields and all the things that are coming. And a lot of my realtor audience has been interested or has there's been a spike of interest mm -hmm. in, in which we talked about this pre-show, long-term rentals, short-term rentals, and flipping. Yeah. So um, I think that your guidance and expertise in, in how to identify a house and to flip and in the mm -hmm. process that you go through from yeah. acquisition to disposition is going to be very valuable today. So thank you again for being on the show. And um, let's start with what should you look for in identifying a good property to flip? When you go look at a property, what are you looking for? Well, besides obviously the potential profit margin, um, I'm looking, first of all, I'm pulling up <laughs> comps on the property, what it could be worth. Um, however, like what's important to me is inventory. If there's a lot of properties on the market, I don't want the competition. Like I want as little competition as possible. That way I know it'll sell quickly. So I'm looking at the inventory, how quickly things sell, um, if they're going above or below ask. That's real important to me because what I want is, look, especially in today's market, um, you're looking at. Yes, the comps that sold, but what's available on the market now? Because by the time I sell this, um, that's probably going to be what I need to sell it for. So I can't look at, hey, in May, this thing sold for 60K above ask. I need to look at what's this one going for now that looks pretty nice. Where do I think it's going to sell? And I got to base my numbers off of that to be safe. Um, okay, so give me an example. Like, If you're saying that you look for little competition, there must be parts of the Metroplex that you're looking at right now. And, you know, this podcast will air in mm -hmm. two or three weeks or something like that. But And you don't have to give away all of your secret sauce. But are there generally pockets of the Metroplex that you're focused on right now because you're finding the less competition um, factor? Well, I'd say there's like two things to look at. Um, one of them's affordability and the other one's school districts. Okay. Um, you're usually seeing uh, affordable homes selling faster if they're closer to the main metro areas because of location. But also really good school districts, there's always that demand. Um, 
as you could probably tell from the last couple of years, when hedge funds were buying, they're all buying in good school districts because of the long-term demand to them. Yep. So people always want to move their families from out of state to where the good schools are, right? So those areas are always pretty hot. And then we look at um, that location based on a lot of different factors, like maybe compared to like where the major roads are, the highways, things like that. Um, you know, for example, McKinney is an awesome area to, to live, has great schools. Yep. Um, but there are different parts of McKinney where, you know, your 20 minute drive to 75 or 15, 20 minute drive oh, to absolutely. 380. Yeah, so you could absolutely. be stuck out there and you can't just think, hey, this is McKinney. It's going to sell fast. You got to look at that location when someone's moving here to the metro, like the first, in, uh, the first impression is going to be, hey, it took me 30 minutes just to get to this house, to get to the highway. And then I got to drive to work. So some of those factors do um, play an importance to me, but okay. um, you know, I'm looking at the schools and the low price. <clears throat> um, is it easier to find a potential property in certain areas than others? Um, you know, it's it's kind of hit or miss. Um, you can't say everything's a guarantee, but. Again, the really good school district areas, people usually know what they have, and um, they don't usually let them go cheap unless there's a really high motivating factor to sell. Um, a lot of people target like, you know, probates, foreclosures, um, tax liens, things like that as like an indicator of um, um, wanting to sell a property, but that's not always the case. People still know what they have in those areas. You know, and there's something important to bring to the table about how you do your business because you don't, how, what, what percentage of properties do you think you buy off market versus on market? 95% off market. Okay. So that's a key thing to talk about today. And yeah. because you also do wholesaling, right? Right. And so um, that gives you an advantage because you're, you're dealing in a lot of off market properties, right? And you do, do direct connects to sellers to get them to sell their house, right? And mm -hmm. so I think one thing that's important to notate for our realtor audience is, and and look, my two, one, two, I think it was two of my rental pro properties that I have right now, I bought off market. Right. And so when you're looking at a deal or mm -hmm. a potential deal, you're going to get, and look, I look for properties that need some reno. I'm not scared of 25 to 40K worth of rental, uh, reno that right. if I have to go in and do stuff. Most of it's cosmetic. I don't want to start digging into the ground and replacing pump plumbing or replacing a roof. That's just my personal preference. Um, I'm okay with the cosmetic reno that needs to be done. Yeah. Um, but I think that's an important thing to talk about is your best deals are going to come off market, right? Yeah. Once you put them on the MLS, then, and especially because the tide's turning now, um, where buyers are coming back out, there's more demand. We're starting to see multiple offers again. We're starting to see multiple showings again. That, that eats in, if you're going to go in and try to buy something off the MLS and mm -hmm. compete in a multiple offer situation, that eats into your profitability on the product, right? right? Yeah, 100%. So um, do you have any, and you, the answer may be you don't know, but if you do, do you have any advice for people looking for a potential flip, but does, wants to try to find something off market? Um, I mean, just got to be active. I mean, if you really want to find something off market, if you want a certain area, you know, you could door knock, you could put signs out, like kind of like yard sale signs, but that says like cash buyer looking right. for properties, something like that. I buy homes cash. Um, 
But yeah, once it hits the MLS, if it's a good deal, then you're just open to all the competition. And, you know, I'm usually really competitive on MLS, even if I like the deal, but there's always that one person that, you know, it might be their only investment property for the year they're buying. Um, so they're okay paying more. Um, or maybe it's just like a random person that wants to buy a home for someone in their family and they'll just overpay. Like that's what happens countless times on MLS. So when I talk to other agents, it's like, I'll buy on MLS, but only if you've spoke to the agent, they're open to negotiating already because they're, you know, motivated to sell. Right. Most people that put on MLS, it's not because, um, not because they don't want to sell, but they're just not motivated to sell it at the price for an investor, and which is okay. I mean, they <clears throat> they got to sell their house for what they want to sell their house for, but they also aren't motivated to move it fast or whatever. So they just price it high and see what happens because they don't really they don't have to sell it like tomorrow. They could wait three, four or five months. It doesn't matter. Well, and I do see realtors take on properties and I talk to them quite often. I have a pretty good little database of realtors that try to move at least a certain amount of their inventory off market because it's just not fit for the MLS. Mm -hmm. And so you can find properties through traditional realtors mm -hmm. that again, they're not, they have identified that the property isn't fit for the MLS because it needs too much work and it's not going to attract a buyer right? They still want to move the property for their seller. Yeah. Um, so they're looking to do some deals that aren't directly on the market. I, and, and, and maybe the seller can't afford to do the reno or doesn't want to do the reno yeah. or whatever it is to get it fit for that more turnkey buyer right. view, right? Because uh -huh. a lot of buyers want turnkey properties. So I think it is about, I think I like what you said, you know, about door knocking, um, connecting with realtors that work in these areas that have properties that need reno, you can maybe identify something that way. Mm -hmm. um, so I know that there's a lot of people that are, that want to look for flips and, and so some direction about how to find those properties is always good. Yeah. Usually if you're not connected, if you're not an agent already, definitely you got to find an agent that is, is willing to look for an investor. Not all of them are, uh, they might have investors or they just focus on buyers only or sellers only. So, I mean, you could interview your, an agent or a potential agent. Um, you could always find them by looking on Zillow, who's got the most listings. So that person might get a lot of traction. So call that person directly, try to get a hold of them and see if they're willing to work with you. Because I think wholesaling for, for wholesaling, you can do it if you're more, if you're an all cash buyer, right? If you're a financed buyer, mm -hmm. I think it's more difficult. You're not going to be like a traditional finance buyer for a flip, right? You're going to use more of a hard money kind of situation for a flip. Right. But, um, you know, I think that there's some really good avenues for people to look for properties. So you found a property, you're running your numbers. What are you looking for in your numbers? Tell everyone how, because there's different philosophies mm -hmm. about how you run numbers for profitability or ARV, that sort yeah. of thing. So, um, which is, after repair value, yeah. Right? So we want to make sure we use a lot of acronyms. And not everybody knows what they mean. But so you want to talk to us about how you run your numbers to decide to buy, put in an offer on a property? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say that you know, there's not one formula for everyone. Um, you know, there's people out there that flip five properties a month or ten properties a month, and maybe they only need to make fifteen grand on each one. That's a good living if you have like your systems down, right? Um, it depends on what you're doing it for, what your goals are. There might be someone that says, I want to flip one property a year to make an extra 50 grand. So they're just looking for that property. So that all depends. I can't tell them, you know, what they should make on a flip, but that's their decision. 
Um, but I will say that um, something to be careful on when you're running your numbers, don't look at the sale price after you're done and just the purchase price and say, hey, that's a $200,000 spread there. You're going to get yeah. in trouble. Yeah. Like <laughs> I see people. Exactly. So I see people post all the time, like 400,000 resale, 200,000 purchase, yeah. $200,000 spread. I'm like, okay, cool. Well, yeah. let's take out 7% for when you sell it. That's 35 grand of it. Let's take out 2% when you purchase. Oh, and don't forget your money costs. Like yep. say that's a five month hold time, you know, you're paying interest. That's probably another 5% more. So it dwindles pretty quickly. And then if you don't know your rehab budget or you're not experienced at rehabbing, then you got to be safe on that too. So you're not, you know, losing your shirt. So, uh, you know, you just got to be careful, but just don't forget about how much your money costs you. I think that's the biggest thing. And the closing costs, because sometimes you look at the broad numbers and just forget about how much money you're going to lose when you go to sell it or how much it costs you to hold it with taxes and insurance and all that kind of stuff. Okay. So you kind of skipped you went through that a little fast. Let's let's back up and kind of break it down a little bit more. So let's talk about your money costs. Let's break down what the money costs are. Okay. So you're okay. purchasing the house, right? Uh-huh. Are you, you know, if you're using a realtor, you're paying, well, on the buy side, you're not paying commission. Yeah. Sometimes you are. Sometimes you're not. It depends if it's off market. If it is off market, sometimes that's because the seller doesn't want to pay commissions. So then you got to pay your agent commissions. Okay. So you may or may not be paying commissions on the buy mm-hmm. side. You've got to know what that looks is going to look like for you. Okay. Right. And then your any closing costs that you're paying, right? Correct. So I'd say right off the bat, you're looking at, let's just say, 1.5% closing costs. Okay. If you're using a hard money lender, you're probably looking at 1% to 2% in just loan costs right there off the bat, plus any fees. And then how long are you going to hold it? Uh, say like the industry standards, like 12% interest rates on hard money. Okay. So however long you hold it, your estimate, that's like 1% a month. So 12% is 1% a month. So if you're holding it for five months, that's five more percent. Okay. So you're like 5% plus the one and a half to close plus the two on the lender, you're at like eight and a half, nine percent just holding costs, closing costs to start. So- it goes away pretty quickly. And then you need to know what your reno budget's going to look like before yes. you buy the house, right? right. <laughs> so do your inspections, right? Get your list of repairs or um, you can get the list of what it is you're going to do to improve the property. Right. And working with contracts, I mean, a, a contractor partnership is a really big deal when it comes to this stuff because the contractors can be very expensive, especially if you're running it through like a GC, right? Because they're right. even taking a bigger haircut. So. You know, I have a crew that does all my rentals. I've worked with him for a long time and, you know, he subs out all the work, but he doesn't act like the general. He's the painter, yeah. right? And he just has a bunch of friends yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that can do tile and flooring and all the other things. So it's worked out really well for me, but finding a, a contractor, mm-hmm. finding contractors to do your reno, yeah. that's a huge part of where your money can go, right? right. Throughout this process. So any advice? Well, let's let's finish our conversation about the money. Okay, so then you've you've identified your reno budget, right? right. You're starting your reno. You're done with your reno. Then what, right? You're going to sell the property. Sell it on the market. So if you have an agent, that's a 6% listing fee, most likely, unless you're getting a discount. Most likely, you're going to pay another 1% in closing costs for title, maybe a little bit more if like seller concessions. People are asking for closing costs. Yep. People are asking for home warranty. Um, and all this stuff's back in this market, right? It, yeah, I exactly. mean, we didn't have to deal with that for like two and a half years, but now 
as yeah. a seller, you are looking at paying, maybe paying title again or paying yeah. home warranty or paying closing, you know, some percentage of the closing costs. And yep. God forbid it's in an HOA. That's a whole nother bag of wax. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. like that's, so those are additional costs when you're going to the closing table that you have to consider. So, right. Um, and then after that is your net, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, I've got a good friend who's been flipping for a really long time. He's an architect designer. And he typically offers about 60% of ARV. Okay. So the after repair value, what you think you could sell it for. He offers about 60% because that leaves him with a good amount of room for rehab budget. So he usually looks at, you know, about 80% minus repairs. He budgets like 20% of the ARV towards rehab. So if it's a $400,000 home, he's expecting at least 80K in rehab. So that gives you enough buffer to have some profit and also do everything else that you need. Yeah. I find when I acquire a house, it's usually 80 to hundred K out of pocket. Yeah. Before it gets rented. Yeah. I mean, out of my pocket. Yeah. If you're, put, if you're putting <laughs> and I'm 20, a finance buyer, right? 20% down, then the reno, all the closing costs, yada, yada. Yeah. Um, time on the market while it's renting, you know, all of that sort of stuff. So it is, look, this isn't a cheap game to get started in. Right. Right. And so, um, I think that's where um, you have to be very, very careful and make sure you know your numbers. Right. Um, let's talk about where to spend money on a flip. Not an easy question. Um, but what I typically do is look at the comps, see what they did, because I want to meet or exceed them. So if every home in the neighborhood is selling with carpet, I'm not going to go original hardwoods kind of style in the house. I mean, I'm going to put a lot of carpet in there, maybe some LVP, some laminate flooring that's going to be nicer than carpet in like the main areas or something like that. But I'm going to match what the comps are doing. If they're all selling, like if you got a house in Collin County and like in Aubrey or Salina, something newer in the 2000s, and they all have like that 12-inch tile, yeah. If they're all selling with a 12 inch tile in the kitchen and the bathrooms, I'm not going to spend three, four thousand bucks to remove it. You know, I want to get in and out as quickly as possible because that time is money. So that's pretty important to do unless it's just all cracked up. Right. And if it's in good condition and it falls in line with what the neighborhood looks like, you, yep. that's not where you want to spend your money. Right. No. no. I mean, on a, when I buy a rental, if I have to replace the floors, I go put in that vinyl wood looking floor stuff everywhere yeah. and call it. Right. Yeah. But, um, and that's typically, you know, what's in that price point of that house that I'm looking for anyway. Yeah. Right. So keep it in line. Don't spend your money where it doesn't make sense on upgrades that aren't already part, uh, that are outside of the neighborhood standard. Yeah, correct. And, you know, sometimes you, may want to, or, you know, I consider it from time, time to time. Um, you do like one special upgrade, something that no other house has. Maybe you, when you walk in, you build in like the little mudroom style, like bench where you could hang up your clothes and put the shoes in something different. You spend like a grand on, you know, just something special like that, or you decorate a wall a little bit more fancy than the other houses that it's something that just stands out makes it special. That way, if there's another home in the neighborhood, um, you know, they're like, well, I really like that better. They're the same, but I really like that better. So let's just go with that house. Let's bring up the pictures so that we can kind of show everyone what Adam's talking about. So this is kind of what you're, I love this. I think it's really pretty, but I want to point out the reason why you sent me this picture. 
Mm-hmm. So kind of talk about this as a as one of those unique features that you would consider spending money on to upgrade the house. Yeah, I mean, besides it being, you know, custom cabinetry, things like that, um, you know, the colors, like, you know, you've got the the new green look on the cabinets that people are really trending on right now, the gold with it. Then you also have the natural wood with the metals, the black metals there. So you get all these different textures and features. It really makes like a room um, just have more of a feel about it that people just like. It's just one of those things that um, just draws people's attention. Um but, you know, that's just something that could stand out more than another house. And you don't need 30 people to love your house. You really just need one person to really love it to buy it. Right. If it's the same as every other house, you have 20 people that like it but don't love it. That's not as good as one person that really, really wants it. You just need the one offer. <laughs> Technically, yeah. Technically, so. you know. Well, okay, let me rephrase. You only need one buyer, right? The Correct. right buyer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. I know. And I really do like the mix of metals. Mm. I mean, I do stuff like that in my house too. So the wood with the, with the, mm-hmm. with the brass, um, faucet and the handles, that sort of stuff. And yeah. then the black, um, light fixtures really stands out to me. And I, you're already buying light fixtures, right? You're already buying a faucet. You're probably already buying hardware. Yeah. So just taking that design feature of the mixed, um, you know, the mixed metals and things like that will mm-hmm. make it stand out. Spend so, a little bit more on those things to make okay. it stand out. You okay. know, like don't get the cheapest of the, the, the builder grade. Yeah. The basic builder grade fan. That's all white. When you could make it really stand out and someone says, Ooh, I really love that fan. And that's what they remember when they go to the next house. Right. Then they go to the next house. and They're like, Oh, I hate this fan. Remember that one that we loved? Like, right. Just little things. Well, and I'm glad the all gray and white is starting to go, is going uh, away because yeah. I was so done with that design. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know what that was. <laughs> I, it was the black, white, and gray. I was like, no. Um, any, I like more a lot more warmth in my home. But anyway, go yeah. to the next one. Yeah, this is really pretty. Why don't you talk about yeah. this one? Just another similar, um, similar style. Um, you have some natural wood colors on the flooring. You've got the darks. You've got the metals. Uh, this one has like a really nice countertop feature, um, like just custom. You know, like this is a higher end home, but not every higher end home is going to have like the 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 sit in breakfast area with the. And that, do I see a wine fridge in the back? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a sub zero fridge yeah. probably <laughs> with uh, the yeah. wine fridge, but. You know, you're not going to, even a really nice home in the neighborhood, it's not going to look just like that. It's going to stand out. Right. If someone just loves it, you can't, you can't spend 50K and get that done yourself. Or, right. Or you can, but not many people are going to go buy a $800,000 home and then go spend another 50 after they bought it just to right. copy your kitchen when they could just buy it. I love those ceilings yeah. though. That's a nice feature. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Keep, let's go to the next one. This is a really popular design feature. We've got a couple of photos you, you could kind of scroll through because they're all the same. Well, I mean, they're not the same. It's just the same kind of design feature. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just people are doing the um, you know the decorative wall right now. Something that just stands out. It's not too much more money to do, um, but it's just something that someone will remember. Like you know, you want it draws some depth to a room. It draws your attention to the room. It uh, changes the feel of it. So. You know, a lot of people do like in a dining room or you make your fireplace really special. You do some extra colors, paint the brick, um, do a little bit of um, the wood trim work in a design. You could actually go on Etsy and like find these design. um, I guess they call them like design recipes or something like that. But you could buy them for like a hundred bucks and they'll give you like all the material list and 
like kind of like an architectural drawing oh, on how cool. to do it. Yeah. yeah. So they have a lot of designs in there that are cool and it just draws your attention. I mean, it's just something that'll stand out that's not at the other home that's very similar and someone might walk into the house and that's the first thing they see and the last thing they remember. So well, and I think there's something really important to point out here. Like, we're not seeing neon green, okay? We're not seeing <laughs> yeah. peach. We're not seeing some bright orange or red or yellow. Yeah. These are warm colors that will attract buyers. Um, I think where <sighs> license of taste, like your taste, mm -hmm. it should not be in the home, right? The goal here is to make it neutral for all buyers to be to be yeah. attracted to it. It right? needs to be broad enough for enough buyers for sure, but maybe not so broad that everyone's seen it before, right? Or every other house has it. So definitely, I mean, some people just paint the cabinets on the kitchen on the bottoms. They paint those paint those a different color. They paint those black on the bottom or black on the top with a white countertop. You know, just something different that's not the same as every other white kitchen in the neighborhood. Right. And so I think there's like too bland, right? Like yeah. what we were just talking about with the white gray yeah. mix, like it's just too bland. And then there's too much, right? Yeah. So be careful with your paint choices is what I'm trying yeah. to say. You got to know your area too. Like you got to know your neighborhood. Some areas in North Texas, I'd say are much more traditional when it comes to style. But if you want to go into like Dallas, um, you might have much cooler designs over there that you could be, uh, a little more wild with your color palette, you know, but you know, that's, you got to know your audience when you're also going to sell your home. Okay. That's yep. where looking at the great. comps, look at the comps. What's the best one that sold in this neighborhood? what they do that was special? Mm -hmm. You know? So do you need to use a realtor to do this? I, I mean, I am a realtor, um, but I'd say that it would be wise to use one to get the data that you need to support your purchase and your sale. Yeah, because when we're talking about comps, you're not going to be able to do that unless you have access to the MLS, right? Yeah, and Texas is non-disclosure, so you can't do like other states and get the sale price. So you don't know for sure what they're selling for. Um, you might see a house that was listed on Zillow for seven hundred, but it sold for six thirty. Yeah, so, well, that's a big lesson. Don't go off. Don't use yeah. Zillow for comps. <laughs> Not in Texas, that's for sure. <laughs> don't use Zillow for comps. <laughs> yeah, you, you can get a good idea by how long it sells for, but you never know. I I just looked at a house in Carrollton where home next door was listed for four hundred and it sold for three ten in six days. I was like, oh, that's got to be a typo. We called the agent to find out. They said, no, that's just what it sold for. They. It was actually someone they knew and they just gave them a good deal, but it, yeah. it did mess up the comps. Yeah, so. I would think so. And so I think that's a great lesson for everyone. And if you are interested in connecting with Adam, because like I said, he's done over 700 real estate transactions and a lot of it is in this type of platform. So he is definitely an expert that you can lean on and he'd be glad to help you find some properties and get some deals done. So I will make sure to include his contact information so that you can reach out to him. Uh, directly. So I think, um, I think this is a great place to stop for today, Adam. I think sure. um, we can always keep talking about um, investment properties. And so I'll have you back and we can talk about some other things like short-term rentals and maybe long-term rentals and trying to find those kind of things. Cause I know there's a lot of, I know there's a lot of people interested in that as well, just mm -hmm. with trying to capitalize on all of the development yeah. that we have coming to Collin County. So for sure. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. 
So that's a wrap on another episode. Again, I'm your host, Tamara Gady. If you like my content, you're really gonna love my escrow team. So let's get a conversation going about your title needs and make it a great day. Oh,